Hey everybody, knowing that I was going to teach about Psalm 1, which encourages us to get into the Word, and also knowing that Pastor Riley has a message prepared on the inerrancy of Scripture, I asked him if he would share that with you tonight at the Sunday night service because I'm off uh, teaching at our high school camp. Uh, about an hour away. So I'm sharing the word with them tonight and ask Riley to share with you tonight. Like Pastor Nate said, my name is Riley. If I haven't met you yet, it's good to meet you. Um, I lead our young adult ministry on Thursdays and have the chance to serve with our great team here and just feel very, very thankful that Pastor Nate would allow me to share the pulpit or the um, table. I'm actually not tall enough for the pulpit. <laughs> so this is more my zone. I feel a bit more like I can handle this. But um, thankful to share the platform with Pastor Nate tonight, and uh, feel very honored for that. So Nate, if you're when you're listening to this, uh, thank you so much. Um, but tonight, what we're talking about inerrancy of Scripture. This is a Christian doctrine. The um, the doctrine of biblical inerrancy. Basically, all it means is that when we look at the Bible that we have in our hands or on our phone, we believe that it is the perfect, inspired, flawless, life-giving Word of God. And I know that for some of us in the room, maybe, we, maybe we've had a weird experience with Scripture. Uh, maybe we come from a background where the Bible has been used to shame us or to guilt us or to make us feel bad about ourselves. But my whole goal and aim for tonight is to hopefully show you from Scripture itself that the Bible is so good for you. <laughs> it's so good. It's life-giving. Like Pastor Nate said this morning in his teaching on Psalm 1, there is this element to the Christian life and to Scripture that is restrictive, but it's not in the way that's going to um, confine you to a way of life that's oppressive or harmful it's actually restrictive in the sense where it gives you good, healthy boundaries to live a life that you can actually flourish in and have joy in. So tonight, I'm not going to be talking about the Bible in a very scholarly kind of way. There's some authors and pastors and teachers who are really gifted in that kind of way. I'm a very basic kind of guy who loves the Bible, and I feel like one of the ways that Scripture has really come alive to me is through, through books that people have written for sure, teachings I've heard, discipleship that I've gone through. But man, Scripture comes alive to me because I believe what Jesus says about the Bible. And I don't know if you know this, but Jesus actually has a lot to say about the Bible. You may look at Scripture and be like, Jesus is somebody in the Bible, so he doesn't have much to speak about because he's in it. But he actually says a lot about the Old Testament, the Torah, the law, the prophets. And so what I want to do tonight, because we're not doing a, um, a kind of teaching where I'm just looking at one text and pulling it out and explaining it to you, it's going to be more of a topical message where I'm just going to be pulling different things that Jesus has said, looking to the Old Testament as well. Also some, some passages that Paul wrote and uh, that Peter wrote. And just seeing, man, what does Jesus have to say about this Bible that we have in our hands? Is it really God's word or is it just a bunch of stories and platitudes and things that feel good? I believe it's the inspired true word of God. And I hope that tonight that you're encouraged uh, in that truth. 
So here's our main question for the night. Can I trust the Bible? Can I trust the Bible? I feel like there's three common concerns when it comes to the Bible. If it's true, then why are these things happening? And there's, there's a lot of concerns that people have, but I feel like they can get kind of boiled down into these three. The first is this, that the Bible was written by men. If the Bible is penned by flawed men, then the Bible can't actually be inerrant because darkened minds wrote this book. So that's kind of the first common question or concern about Scripture. A second one is that the Bible is old, which it is, but it's also out of touch. The idea here is that these writings were helpful at one point in time, but they cannot keep up with the pace of modernity today. The third concern is that the Bible has already fulfilled its purpose. It was good for one point in time for a certain people group, but now has no bearing on my life today. So why even trust the Bible? Can I trust the Bible? And my thought is that if the Bible is trustworthy, then it's not because it was written by men or because it's been revered as a sacred document for thousands of years or because it contains helpful teachings and practices. The Bible can only be trustworthy if it truly is the inspired word of God. If this book actually came from God himself, that is the only way that is truly good and perfect and without error. So so our goal tonight is just to see if the Bible is truly inspired and authored by God. And if it is, then my hope for tonight is that we can see that it is perfect and that it is truly inerrant. Okay, so how do we come to find out that the Bible is truly a work of God or not? Like I said, we're going to look at some scripture tonight to try to support this claim that the Bible is without error. But my thought is that we're going to create a bit of a tripod tonight. Are you guys familiar with tripods? You put a camera on, it's got three legs. My thought is that we're going to make an inerrancy tripod with three uh, legs. The first leg is that the Bible is authored by God. The second leg is that the Bible is alive with God's power. And the third leg is that the Bible is accomplishing God's purposes for today. And I believe that when we can build that, then we can really assume that God's word is inerrant. So I'm obviously making a couple of assumptions tonight before we get into um, our study. The first is this, that God is Yahweh, the personal God of Israel, that God is infinite and perfect in whom all things have their source, support, and end. That is who God is. So if we're not on the same page about that, maybe we can talk afterwards and have a good conversation about that. The second assumption I'm making is that Jesus um, was declared with power to be the Son of God, by the resurrection from the dead, as it says in Romans 1, 4. So I'm believing that God is all-powerful, that he's a personal God, and I'm believing that Jesus is his son, and that what he says is full of power because he is the son of God, and he rose from the dead. So that's who we're giving authority to tonight, and uh, that's how we're going to be making our case for tonight. So you guys ready to jump into point number one? You guys with me? Let's go. Okay. First point is this. Jesus affirms that scripture was authored by God. 
this is our first revelation about how God's word was authored by God because God's word reveals truths about God that would otherwise be hidden from us. Check this out from Matthew 22. These are the words of Jesus while he was speaking with some Pharisees. It says, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Then they said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Okay, at first glance, this has nothing to do with the inerrancy of God's word, but there's something very specific that I want us to see here. So check out the scene. Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. He's asking them, who do you think the Christ is? They say that he's the son of David. And then he has this little kind of back and forth with them and talks about how David wrote in the Psalms about the Christ being at the same level of power as the Lord, as Yahweh. He's saying that the Christ would be at equal power as Yahweh. And he says he knew that because of three specific words. Check this out. It says, David in the spirit. David in the spirit. What we're seeing here is that David wrote a a powerful truth about the coming Messiah because he was actually inspired by the Holy Spirit to write that truth. Why is that important? Because what we see here is that God was directly influencing the writing of David to reveal a beautiful truth about the Christ and about his power and about his divinity, that it was equal with God. The, the thing I'm trying to communicate here is that God used people in the writing of Scripture. This shouldn't be something that we're scared about. God was fully authoring the Bible, but he used human hands to do so. So God is using David to communicate a beautiful truth about the proper order of God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All are at work. All are divine. But we see that because in the Spirit, David wrote about it. That's the subtext to that story, that we can see that God is influencing people to write Scripture. The second revelation that we get about how uh, the Scripture was authored by God is that God's Word reveals that Scripture was authored by God but penned by men, like we just talked about. But check this out in the book of 2 Peter. Peter says this, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Just a side note, how great would that be to be one of these guys who was carried along by the Spirit, spoken to by God? Wouldn't you like to be one of those people? I don't know if you want that responsibility. It sounds like a cool experience, but the responsibility is pretty heavy. But this is amazing right here. Peter saw in this portion of Scripture, 
he saw there's two groups of prophets. There are real prophets, fake prophets. Fake prophets would slyly get into the church and mask their sensuality. They would denounce the power of Christ while they were preaching. Real prophets affirmed the resurrection of Jesus and humbly submitted to his authority. So real prophets announced the coming of the Messiah. Real prophets affirmed the announcement by recognizing Jesus as the fulfillment of that prophecy. And because this announcement is so holy, it can only happen through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus looks back at David, says, this guy wrote this incredible truth about your coming Messiah because he was carried along by the Spirit. And Peter affirms those words of Jesus and says that not just David, but no prophet, nobody who wrote Scripture could ever do it by their own will. They could only do it as they were carried along by God's Spirit. This is important, I think, because there are some modern-day Christians, and I've been in this place, if I'm just being totally honest, where they believe that God's word is actually tainted because men were involved in the process. Like I mentioned earlier, if darkened human minds were involved in the process of writing this holy text, this text that we base our lives on, then there must be some kind of error in it. But what we see here is that God authored Scripture. He utilized men to write it, but he wrote it. This is important to know as well because if you look back at when Scripture was written, it was written thousands of years ago. Since then, we've had all these revelations of science, of culture, of history, society. We are post-enlightenment, and it would be so easy if we believe that because older men were involved in the process that it's tainted, then our enlightened minds could shine new light on Scripture. And if we get to that place, things get really slippery really quickly because we begin to start assuming our own knowledge onto Scripture, our own authority onto God's Word. And when we start to do that, not only are we messing with what God had already said, but we're starting to put ourselves above His truth that He's actually trying to communicate. I don't know if you've had this experience before, but God's word's hard to read. I mean, it's like some of the language is a little bit hard, but it confronts the very nature of who we are. Have you had that experience? Have you read the Bible and had that? If if you haven't, go home tonight and just read a couple chapters out of any book in the Old Testament. It might scare you a little bit. It might hit you in the gut a little bit. And that's good because God is on a mission to change our lives from the inside out. And a huge way he does that is through this word that he authored getting into us and kind of messing us up a little bit in the best way possible. Okay, so Jesus affirms that scripture was authored by God. Our second point is that Jesus also affirms that scripture is alive. The first kind of life enhancement that we see um, from Jesus' affirmation is that God's word allows our lives to flourish. God's word allows our lives to flourish. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, before he actually began his ministry, he was baptized and sent out into the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, 
no food, no water. And you can tell me if this is true for you. When you're without food, without water for a little bit, you start to get what we sometimes call hangry, a little uncomfortable is probably a light way of saying it. Um, Desperate is probably a better way of saying it. But Jesus, while he was out for 40 days and 40 nights, had this interaction with the devil who was tempting him with food and with power. And Jesus, when he was confronted by the enemy, looked him straight in the face and quoted this to him. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man does not just live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus had this radical idea that he could actually live by the power of God's word, that we could live by the power of God's word. We may need food for our bodies to be sustained, but we need God's word for our lives to actually flourish. And Jesus is showing us here that even through temptation, even through times when we have nothing, and even times we don't fully know what the next step is in our lives, that the Word of God, Scripture, is our source of life. But now I want us to see how does God's Word actually work in our lives. And this is our second point to God's Word being alive. It's that God's Word allows our lives to be rearranged for our good and God's glory. God's Word allows us to flourish, but it also does some kind of reorganizing, some readjusting. This is what Paul said to the Thessalonian church about this truth. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Paul recognized that God's word has an active role to play in the lives of his people. God's word cuts to the heart of who we are and changes not only our thoughts, but our lives. If you go back in the Old Testament to the book of 2 Kings, you see that King Josiah had a very radical experience with God's word. He was a king of Israel, of Judah, and He had this moment where somebody brought him the Bible. He hadn't seen it. And so he saw it, and he began to read it. And it says that he wept, he tore his clothes. He flipped out. He had like a breakdown and said, why haven't we been having this book close by? We need this book. It gives us everything we need for learning how to structure our weeks, our years, our crops, social justice. Everything is in this where has it been? Who's responsible for this? And he takes it, and he starts to add some reformation to um, his kingdom. They build in worship into their weekly schedule. They get back to sacrifices. They get back to repenting. They're starting to bring about the law in such a way that people are actually able to live peaceably around each other. But it's all from the word of God. Josiah didn't just feel guilted and I, I got to do this because God says so. He's like, no, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. This is, this is the roadmap for us. And he saw that it had 
not only the authority to readjust, but that it was life-giving in its pursuit to readjust his life. And so he not only structured his own inner life, but he structured his outer life in the kingdom, and the people really benefited from that. This is important because when we look at the world around us, um, if we look at culture, modernity, we will just hear all these messages about what truly brings about world renewal. You know, you think about, I actually just listened to a podcast today. Um, from a podcast, I, I really like this feed. I don't know if I should tell you about it because I don't know if you want to listen to it or not. But anyways, it's besides the point. He was talking about how he's like on mission to help people learn how to compost, how to recycle, how to use renewable energy, eat less meat, care for each other. And he had like all this kind of stuff to think about with the Australian fires, 5G, Wi-Fi, social media. He's like, we gotta, we gotta really think about how we're doing exercise, meditation, breath work, all this. He's thinking through this whole worldview to put before his listeners, but he's gathering things from all these different teachers and philosophers, these scientists, these columnists, and it sounds really good. I actually like a lot of what he said, but he's getting it from places that aren't fully reliable because they're from human minds, and God has given us wisdom, given us insight, but man, I'm telling you, when you get your mind into God's word and allow him to get into your life, peace will flow from your life. Relationships will become reconciled in your life. Your parenting will change. Your marriage will change. Not only that, but I'll say it in faith that your kids will change. Your workplace will change. Your school will will change as you become affected by God's word and allow him to rearrange your priorities, your desires, and your hopes and your dreams. People will be positively affected by you. They may not always agree with you. They may not always appreciate it, but you will have a positive inf influence in their lives. But it comes from God's living, breathing word getting into you and transforming you from the inside out. So God's word, it's alive. God's word is alive. Jesus also affirms, this is our third point, that scripture is accomplishing the purposes of God today. First purpose is that God's word is pointing us towards salvation. Salvation, that word mean that we can actually be saved from our sins, be forgiven, and come into right relationship with God. God's word is pointing us and moving us forward towards salvation. Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 5, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Until everything is accomplished. Jesus is declaring that the law found in God's word is actually a part of God's plan. You know, if you go back to the Old Testament, to the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, when you hit Leviticus and Numbers, there's a lot of law, a lot of stuff that you probably aren't super interested in, just to be honest. Um, when you read it, you might think, how is this fitting into the overall picture 
that God has for not only people of that day, but for me today. But Jesus sees that there's a few purposes for the law. The law, number one, reveals to us that we have all sinned. It also, two, continue, that we also continually fall short of the glory of God. We, we have all sinned and continue to sin. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. That's what it says in Romans 3, 23. It's the words of Paul. The law also demands that we repent and turn our lives towards worship. And Jesus affirmed this work of the law and pointed towards his sacrifice on the cross as the moment when the law had actually been fulfilled. He looked to the, the Old Testament, to those laws, and said those have a use for today because they're bringing about conviction. They're turning people towards worship. They're helping people repent and come into life with God. And these words of the law will actually find their fullest fulfillment. They will be accomplished. He doesn't say it here, but he leads on to say that, that is, it's going to be fulfilled when I go and sacrifice myself on the cross. So that was the moment where salvation was truly available to people post-Jesus. The law had been accomplished. And so that was back when Jesus was alive, when he died on the cross and rose again. So now what does his word have for us today? His word is still pointing us towards salvation. Those Old Testament texts, the law, still show us today that we have not fulfilled what God demanded of us. So we still see that we're sinners before righteous God. You may be a good person. I see a lot of good people in this room, people I love, but you're all sinners. I'm a sinner too, big time. And um, <laughs> amen, bro. <laughs> um, but uh, the law shows us that we, we're flawed human beings before a perfect and righteous God, but that there is hope salvation. Also, the second purpose is that God is pointing us towards sanctification, this word that means becoming more like Jesus. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and says this, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Torah, the prophets, the Psalms, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So check that out. Paul is affirming what Jesus said about how the word of God makes you wise for salvation. And he adds, through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul recognized that the law was still important for people post Jesus' resurrection. An understanding of both the law and of Jesus' sacrifice makes someone actually wise towards salvation. An understanding of God's word and of what Jesus did on the cross allows you to come to a fuller understanding of what it truly means to be saved. This is why it's important for Paul to encourage Timothy in his preaching and leadership. 
Paul knew that in order for Timothy's church to thrive, they need to be reminded of the whole counsel of God's word. But not only that, Paul recognized that a thorough understanding of scripture would lead a believer into a life of discipline, freedom, purpose, and joy. So the Bible not only shows us how we can be saved, that's salvation, but how we can continually become more like Jesus, that's, that's sanctification. There's a lot of books, a lot of podcasts, a lot of feeds that we can listen to that will help us live better lives, but nothing can truly bring that inner transformation that we really need apart from a faith in Jesus. And God's word points us to it. I think something good to realize is that the Bible is not, it's not in the Trinity. Some people look at the Bible and do kind of put it in this like Trinitarian kind of power level. It's not that. It's, it has been given by God with purpose and it's perfect for you. But the true source is what the Bible points towards, and that's our Savior. That's Jesus Christ. And I just want you to know tonight that however you have been interacting with the Bible, some of us love the Bible. Some of us have a regular practice of getting to God's Word every single day. Some of us are journaling about it. Some of us are listening to songs that talk about Scripture, talk about the truths of Jesus. Some of us are in life groups and coming on Sundays, and we read books about God, and our lives are saturated in this word that God has given us. But maybe you're here tonight, and you've had a, a different kind of relationship with the Bible. Maybe if you and the Bible were on Facebook together, and you had that relationship kind of question, you'd be like, it's complicated. <laughs> I have a weird relationship with the Bible. It's been uncomfortable, and I don't really like reading it. Um, I just want you to know tonight that the Bible has so much to offer you. This is not a book that's designed to shame you. It's not a book that is designed to make you feel like you actually can't live the life that you want to live. This word was designed to give you life. But the only way to life is through an understanding of who we are before God and coming to a deeper understanding of what he has done for us so that we can actually be saved through coming to an understanding of the purpose that God has put in front of us. God wants to reveal to you deep truths about who he is as you get into his word. He wants to show you that his word is alive and that he wants to get into your life and bring about transformation. And God wants you to know that he's trying to accomplish something inside of your life and your family and your friends through this word. I'll just close with this. Um, I just want to say that the Bible has more for you. The Bible has more for you. I recently went to a concert. Um, it was actually last weekend uh, up in Santa Cruz. And um, it's from one of my favorite bands. I don't think any of you guys would know the name of this band. Just an old punk band. It's something that my wife got me a ticket to go see this band. She got me one ticket because nobody's trying to see this with me. So anyway, I won't even tell you about it. Um, I went up there, though, and before I got up there, it's kind of a long story, but I actually got in touch with the drummer of the band. It's one of my favorite bands. And uh, he's like, hey, man, like, when you get here to the venue, text me. 
I was like, oh, okay, cool, I will. And so I got there, I text him, and uh, he's like, okay, come to the merch table. I was like, okay, cool. So I went back to the merch table, and I met him, super cool guy. I was so happy. You ever, like, think you're going to meet somebody kind of famous or somebody you kind of respect, and you get to meet him in person, you're like, oh, that was kind of a drag. This guy was awesome, <laughs> awesome. I was talking to him. He's like, hey, man, like, so good to see you. Been waiting to, waiting to hang out with you. I was like, wow, this is amazing. He's like, hey, what size shirt are you? I was like, I don't even remember. This is amazing. And he's like, let me get you a shirt real quick. He like, threw me a shirt. He, he grabbed me. He's like, let me take you backstage real quick. I'm going to introduce you to the band. I was like, oh, my gosh, what's happening right now? I had no idea any of this was happening. He like, pushed me through the crowd and everything and got to like the little kind of boundary between normal people and the band. And there's this dude standing there. Like, this guy can't come through. He doesn't have a wristband. And the drummer said, no, he's, he's, he's with me. He held up his hand with a fist, and he showed his band. He was, he's with me. He's like, all right, cool. So he pulled up the thing, and we walked through the back, got to this green room, and the band was inside. I got to meet the singer, who I love. He's one of my favorite skateboarders. And I got to meet the other guys in the band. It was awesome. They're, like, giving me stuff, snacks. They're like, you want snacks? We have some snacks here. And... Uh, so we're just like hanging out for a minute, and the drummer's like, okay, I got to get warmed up right now, so I'm going to take you outside. So he takes me outside. He kind of like pulls me aside. He's like, you know what, dude? I got to just tell you, like the stuff you've been posting on Instagram, it's like really encouraging to me. I just really love what you post. And I was like, this is crazy. This guy's taking a moment before he goes on stage to just like affirm me and my giftings and, and what I say as a man. And um, it was just like... What is happening right now? I'm having like a discipleship moment with this guy. And uh, he's like, okay, I got to go. Let me take you up to the balcony. Takes me up to the balcony, and uh, there's some security guards there. And he's like, oh, man, I, let me just do this real quick. And he, he grabs his little wristband that got us through to the back. He, he rips it off and gives it to me and says, here, hold on to this. And after the show, come backstage. If you have this, they'll let you go backstage. At which point, I'm just like, what is happening? This is like the most amazing interaction before this concert. My, one of my favorite bands, drummers, the coolest dude I knew. I was like, can we just like hang out all night? This would be amazing. Um, it, what I'm trying to say, I'm not trying to brag. I'm not trying to do any of that right now. I, I realize it probably sounds like that. I'm kind of just going off on a tangent right now. What I'm trying to say is that I expected very little when I got to that concert. I knew that I had talked to this guy through like an Instagram direct message. I had no idea that he wanted to give me clothes, food, access, that he wanted to affirm me, <laughs> that he wanted to introduce me to people, he wanted to hang out with me afterwards. It was like above and beyond anything I could have ever asked for. I haven't done anything for this guy. I stream all their music. Like, I haven't, I haven't bought a CD of theirs in years. I haven't done anything for them. But out of the kindness of his heart, he's like, dude, I'm just going to, like, bless your socks off right now. You have no idea what's about to hit you. And you have to know tonight that that is the same attitude that God has towards you. When you open up his word, he wants to blow your mind with love and with grace and with gifts. 
we get caught up with all these roadblocks in our minds about when we approach Scripture. Like, where do I start? This, this text is too small. Um, it's just hard to read. I don't know what's going on. I don't get it. But when you get into this word, man, God wants to speak to you. I promise you, I promise you, if you get into this, if you study it, if you come to it with a humble heart, even, even if you come to it with an aggressive, violent kind of heart, I promise you, God, you remember Paul? You remember Saul? That guy's on his way to kill Christians. And God's like, boom, let's talk for a moment. So even if you come with a violent attitude, I believe that, man, if you just come just wanting to know what God is trying to say, he'll speak something to you. I'm not saying that just to, like, make you feel good or to challenge you or anything like that. I'm saying that because that's stuff that Jesus has said to you through this word. He wants to get into your mind and your heart and in your life. So the next time you pick up this Bible, I just encourage you. I'd encourage you to read, if I can say this, read like a larger chunk than you're used to reading. I, I used to read me like a verse at a time. And I'd get blasted by a verse like, whoa, I got to hang out on this verse for for a couple days. Man, I got to really meditate on this verse. That's my reading for the week. You know, it's one verse and uh, I would just encourage you to re- read a chapter. Read a couple chapters. And I'm not saying that just so you read more necessarily. I'm saying you can actually get a better understanding of God's word as you read larger portions of it. And I, I just really believe, man, as you get into it, as you read bigger chunks of it, as you come humbly before his word, that God will just do amazing things in your life. He may not answer a very specific question that you have in that moment. He may also do that, but he may reveal to you a truth that's going to bolster up your faith that you weren't even expecting. And so I'm kind of just like, I have the microphone. I'm kind of just like pleading with you because I know what God's word has done for me. I know what reading the words of Jesus has done for me in my life. And I want you to have that experience. And I don't have a great formula or anything. I don't think any of this is about a formula. I think about I think it's about just coming to the table. It's just coming to the word. It's about turning off your phone, just clearing some space, maybe waking up a little bit earlier or staying up a little bit later, whatever that is for you, and just spending time between you and God getting into this word. I could talk all night about this. I'm just going to cut it right there. Um, Thank you guys so much for letting me speak to you tonight. This is a real joy. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.